0: Welcome to the Your Oxygen Mask First podcast. I'm Erin Young, and this is the space where we explore ways to help the helpers. Because you can't help anyone before you help yourself. So sit back, put your own oxygen mask on, and enjoy the ride. And thanks again for joining us. I am very excited to have one of my favorite people back on the show. It's been a hot minute, but I am happy to welcome Dr. Kimberly Miller, back to our show. And she has a brand new class that's coming out, which I think you're going to enjoy and you're going to want to take. It's very, very timely right now. And everybody needs to hear what she has to say. And I'm not going to do her introduction because honestly, I don't think she needs much of an introduction. But Kim, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about you and your background. Thanks Aaron and thanks everybody for listening today.
1: It's so good to be back with you finally. Um, it has been way too long of a time. Um, mm-hmm. I am for those of you who don't know me, I am a police and public safety psychologist and I have been training and consulting and coaching with public safety professionals around the country for the last 16 years. Some of you might have seen me at APCO or Nina or Navigator or at other professional conferences, regional conferences, or some of you might be following me online. I have a newsletter I send out and I've been doing a lot of teaching for the Justice Clearinghouse. And I'm gonna keep doing that, but for a variety of reasons, and and one big push for me was the COVID stuff is I'm really gonna develop a whole curriculum of my classes that I can deliver online, not only to be able to reach more people, But especially in this world of no face to face training, I still want to be able to offer people value and good education around the country. So I'm excited to be back. I'm excited to tell you about my new upcoming class and um, just know that I'll be rolling some other classes out before the end of this year
0: and then next year, too. So thanks for having me. I am so excited about online training coming from you because I know we've been talking about it for quite some time and now it's actually happening it's so great because I met you at conference and immediately Mm -hmm. I was like, I have to talk to this person one-on-one because you had so much good information and you were lighthearted, but your message hit home. And I wish that I could bring you in my suitcase back to my dispatch center and have you tell everybody about keeping your buckets full and to keep the poop off you. You know, that's one of my favorite lines from your teaching, but um, it's just sad that a lot of times when you do conferences and you get conference training, it can't go out to a bigger audience. So I think this is awesome that you're finally transitioning to the e-learning. Yeah, me too. And it's, you know, I've talked
1: to you about it, Aaron, for years. I've talked to probably some of your listeners about it for years because a lot of my clients like you that I'll see at conference will say, when can you get this stuff online? Because my other coworkers and my colleagues couldn't come to the conference And so I'm hoping now to have a way to reach many, many more people and make a difference in their professional
0: lives, of course, but also their personal lives, too. Awesome. So what is on deck? Because it's 2020. The world is falling apart. We can't hug each other. We can't see each other. We can't take training in person. So what do you have up your sleeve in the next week?
1: Yes. So, oh, my gosh, it starts next Thursday, July 30th. And it is in my new class based on examining privilege, racial inequality and biases, looking inside and transforming outside. So I put this together, you know, actually talking about wellness. I was fixing to roll out my wellness curriculum, my Keeping the Superheroes Super that I've taught for years around the country, and it's probably still my most popular class. But all this stuff happened with George Floyd and many other things were happening in terms of um, racial issues. And I was thinking about it and I said, you know, do I want to get into this? Should I get into this? But the more I thought it, I thought about it, I already have an implicit bias class that I've been teaching around the country and has been very well received. I already have ethics training that gets into stuff like bias and self-reflection and examination and the importance of thinking about our character on a regular basis. And I thought, you know, because I have a positive reputation around the country, I have a lot of people who look to me to deliver high quality content in a way that it can be received, especially around a difficult topic like this. I really felt like it was my professional responsibility to public safety to put together a information packed course that people can take all around the country without having to travel That will be delivered in the way that they can receive because a lot of my colleagues have been to other classes from other trainers and they say, well, either they mean well, but they don't understand public safety or it's a class where they're attacked, they're blamed, they're shamed and they're really harassed and it's a negative experience. And Hmm. so I feel like I've put together a class that gives really good information. It certainly can challenge people, but it's not an attacking challenge. It's more like self-reflection, self-examination. And what I've heard so far from the couple webinars I've done about it is that people really appreciated it. And I've had people even tell me that They have been very sensitive to the word privilege or white privilege, and they've been very defensive about things like systemic racism. And all the feedback I've gotten so far is positive. People have told me they have learned things they didn't know. They can now look at those concepts in a way that doesn't make them angry and defensive. And so I'm really proud of that. And I know that the people who decide to sign up for the course will have those and many more positive experiences and I'll be able to give people tools to not only navigate stuff at work, but stuff in
0: their personal life too. So I'm I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I was on your your webinar where you, you were introducing this class and kind of went through a couple of slides and took us through some history about, you know, basically how our country started and maybe the things that we weren't really taught in school and why we are where we are today. And I was really impressed because I didn't feel like I didn't bristle at it, but you were very matter of fact, you were very confident, but I, I felt like I could trust you to deliver the information. And I sat there, I was like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't know this or I knew this, but I didn't understand it at the time when I learned it. So I'm really excited to see You know your full class coming up. Well, thanks, Erin. I appreciate that feedback.
1: Um, And let me just tell y'all for a second a little bit more about the class. So the first module is going to go off sort of what you just said. We're going to talk about the history of racism, how it's perpetuated, what systemic racism is and is not, what it means to be anti-racist, and how to develop transformational relationships and become effective allies. So that's module one. Module two is going to be exploring our privilege, equality versus equity and understanding implicit and explicit bias and how to reduce and overcome it. Model three is going to be our ethics model. So we're going to talk about what ethics are, what character is and why ethics, character and racism are all about the little things and how we can improve our ethics and character and be part of the solution for racism. And then model four is going to be looking at the current narrative about law enforcement and public safety in general, why you can't fact yourself to a solution. We're going to also talk about a lot about agency culture and why agency culture is the foundation for change. Then we're going to talk about over 20 community relationship building strategies, how to sell the story of who you are and what you stand for or as an organization. And the top 10 tools to have difficult conversations inside and outside your building and create transformation. So that's a quick overview of what Mm -hmm. I'm going to cover. But then I am also, as a special addition to the class, going to have five guest instructors. It was going to be three, then it was going to be four. And then I said, you know what, I need to do five. So I'm going to do five. So I have a couple police chiefs. I have a former sheriff and I also have this woman that I love and respect. She is not only in law enforcement, but she is a chaplain and she is also um, an ambassador of peace. Hmm. So I am so excited to have my guest speakers in the class. And then beyond that, I'm going to put up a whole library of resources and articles and videos to enhance learning, not only during the class, but after the class. So if people sign up, they get lifetime access to this class. So I'm excited about that. So any updates I do and anything like that, people have access for their entire life. So it's not just for the four
0: weeks, it's forever. That's awesome.
1: So I know I said a lot, Erin, what other
0: questions? (laughs) You have. I I dumped a lot on you right now. (laughs) I know. I was just going with the flow. And I have to ask, why are you the person to be delivering this message? Well,
1: I certainly don't think I'm the only person who could deliver the message. But here's what I think makes me unique and different in this space. Number one, I've been working with police and public safety for over 16 years. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a very good understanding of the culture and the challenges. And I feel like in that 16 years, I've also built a very positive reputation with people in public safety through my speaking and consultation and the relationships I develop. And that's why I said earlier, I feel like it was my professional responsibility to do the class because I already have trust and respect in this space. And I felt like I needed to try to step forward and teach this in a way that it can be received. Mm-hmm. In a way that can inspire others to take sometimes the hard look at themselves and get better. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I also feel like because I am of mixed race, I know you can't see it when you look at me; you see (laughs) is white, um, but I am Cherokee, Mm -hmm. and I think I bring a unique perspective from having the Native family that I do, and talking about what it is like as a mixed race person, because for the vast majority of my life, I have only experienced privilege. I have not experienced oppression. And then the other thing I think makes me unique is having grown up in one of the most racist cities in the country, Birmingham, Alabama, and grown up in the South and all the dynamics of that. I think also brings a certain perspective that other people wouldn't have necessarily. But let me be clear, um, I am not the expert, I am not the person with all the answers, and that's one of the reasons that I have a diverse staff that work for me, and I have diverse guest speakers Mm -hmm. because I feel like I have to create a space for all of those diverse people to share and talk. But they all have wisdom and experience and knowledge of things that I don't have. Mm -hmm. So I am not coming as the expert in the field. I am coming as a professional who has expertise, but knows at the same time that I don't know everything. And I'm still on a journey to grow and learn myself. And that's how I look at this class as we're all going to be on this journey together. And I'm sure many of the students have insights and wisdom and perspective that they can share too. So I see us all collectively doing the work together to transform. I'm just going to create the space that we can do that work in. And that's good to know that it's interactive too. Yes, it'll be interactive through every class because they're all live. Nothing's recorded um, until the day we do it. Then, of course, I record the live session so people who aren't live um, can be there. But there will be interactive things, and then people can. I um, will always do a Q and A at the end so people can ask any questions. And then, if I don't get to all the questions, then they can write me personally. And if there's a ton of them, I might just write answers and then post them up in the member center of the course.
0: Oh, perfect. So let's talk about implicit bias a little bit because it's kind of a buzzword that we're hearing a lot and I'm not sure if people are using it as a, a nicer substitute instead of just flat out saying racism. But let's talk a little bit about what implicit bias is.
1: Yeah, so I'll I'll start first with explicit bias so that we can have the contrast. So explicit bias, and I'll use a silly example. And if you know me, you're probably gonna know the example I'm gonna use. <gasps> Does it have no, it's not the poop example. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, well, it's a little bit of poop. But <laughs> so, explicit bias is our conscious attitudes and beliefs that we have about a person or group. So, what I mean by that—that stuff you know that you have, you would own that you have it, you would tell everybody you have it, and it's just sort of out there. Now, of course, you can think about like skinheads and the KKK will tell you they don't like people of color. They don't like people of a Jew, the Jewish religion. They'll put it out there. But it's more than just that extreme stuff, the racist stuff. But I want I want people to think about what other explicit biases that you have. So here's my example. And some of you are going to laugh when I say it. But growing up in Alabama, um, let me be clear. I went to the right school. I went to the best school which is Auburn University. So I have to say War Damn Eagle. So if you happen to not be smart enough to go to Auburn, you might have found yourself in the city of Tuscaloosa going to the other school, which is the University of Alabama. And I'm sorry if that has been your educational experience. <laughs> but in Alabama, we are culturally required to pick a side and culturally hate the other side, right? We don't really hate, but it's an, it's an expressed understanding that you have to fight the Saturday after Thanksgiving because that's the Auburn-Alabama game, the Iron Bowl, and you have to find ways to harass and bother the other team throughout the year and prove that you're better, et cetera, et cetera. So silly example, but that's a great example of explicit bias that's outside of racism. And it can happen anyway. I mean, with people fighting over sports teams or the right kind of car or the right kind of job or the right kind of role for men and
0: women. Um, I mean, how about, pretty, go ahead. How about police versus firefighters. Yes. Yes. Y'all work on the same team.
1: Right. And it's even like the sworn versus civilians. Uh-huh. And if you're in a sheriff's office, the jail versus the road. I mean, it's, it, it happens everywhere in our lives. We don't think about it. And that still obviously can be dangerous because you can minimize people and attack people and, and hurt people's feelings and all that kind of stuff with explicit bias. But the implicit is even more dangerous. So the implicit bias is unconscious and unintentional attitudes and beliefs that we hold about a person or a group. And we get this, it's the same kind of way we get our explicit biases, is we're taught it. So if you think about when you, the first day you were put on the planet, you didn't have biases. You were not racist. You didn't like one team over another team or thought men were better than women or whatever. But we learn it through sometimes subtle, but then not so subtle programming. So it's the messages you're taught in your family about what's right and wrong, good and bad, the roles men and women play, what's appropriate and not, what's a good job versus not a good job, You learn about who you should like or not like, who you should love and not love, who is a good person, who's a bad person. But we also learn it through the things that we read, the media that we consume, whether it's television or radio or podcast or, oh, my God, social media and the Internet. But whether we realize or not, every day we're being programmed about what goes together. And then once we create these beliefs in our brain, whether they're conscious or not conscious, because that's all bias is, is a belief, then what we don't realize that we do is we all seek data in the environment to confirm what we already believe to prove that we're right. So just like me, um, when, when I heard that some students in Alabama were having covid parties if you could imagine i know they would collect money at the beginning of the party they would go to somebody's house who was already infected people would put all the money in the jar and then the first person to get it after the party won all the money (laughs) so i hear this and i'm like who has lost their mind in alabama well (laughs) wouldn't you know it was the kids in tuscaloosa That go to the other school. I'm like, well, of course they're doing it. Auburn people are too smart to do that. (laughs) Now, I know that that that's silly and I'm being judgmental. Mm. And I don't actually think that Auburn people are probably not also doing dumb things. But that was my immediate thing. And I said, you know what? Of course it happened in Tuscaloosa, right? And I don't really think that it's just Tuscaloosa. But that shows you the power of bias. Because I'm like, well, of course of course it would happen there. And that was not even meant to be the Auburn, Alabama thing, right? But that was the first thing that came to my mind because it's already there. And I'm already working to prove that I'm right. Mm -hmm. And other things happen even more subtly. So let's say there's a coworker you don't like and you don't like, you just don't like that. You don't like their personality. They're a bully. They're, they're not kind, they're arrogant, whatever. And you hear something when you come back in your center the next morning and people go, oh, man, did you hear about the fight or the, the drama? What is the likelihood that that person that you know is on that shift who you don't like? That's the first person you think of. And you go, Mm-hmm. I bet it was Jeff. You know how he is. And that. that is unconscious programming, the things that just immediately come up show that you already have a bias. You already put those people in a box. You already said that's who they are. And we don't often let people out of our boxes. And of course, we find ways to justify why they're there, etc. But let me give you a few other examples of implicit bias and how it plays out. So one is they've done tons of research on this because people of color, are consistently not given the same quality of treatment as white people in medical settings. And they've proven over and over that in the vast majority of instances, it's not explicit bias. It's not because the doctor or nurse or healthcare provider is trying to be racist, but there's something going on in their subconscious that codes people of color as not needing more intervention, maybe complaining a bunch, not instead of giving them pain meds, they go, oh, they're just exaggerating. They're just being dramatic. They don't actually need that level of pain medication. And so the differential treatment of people of color, again, not that it can't be explicit in the medical field, but most of the time it's implicit. And here's another powerful example I want y'all to think about. They've also done research where they take the exact same resume with the, I mean, literally cut and paste. It's the same kind of a degree. It's the same years of experience, et cetera. The only thing they change about the applicant is the name. So an application number one, they have a traditional black sounding name and an application number two, they have a traditional white sounding name and they have proven that people with a traditionally white sounding name get called back significantly more frequently than people with a black sounding name with the exact same credentials. Oh, wow. Yes. So might there be some explicit bias and blatant racism because um, people could tell, or they are assuming by the black sounding name that the person is not white. Mm-hmm. And they just not want to hire them because of their skin color. Sure. Sure. But what I think happens more often than not is because of our societal programming that is negative around people of color, you look at both the names, you say, wow, they're both qualified. And for a lot of people, I feel like they just feel discomfort with this traditional black sounding name, and they don't call them back. Hmm. And that's the danger of the implicit bias. We don't know that we're doing it, we're not doing it on purpose but it affects how we look at people. It affects
0: how we treat people and it affects how we make decisions. So as a first responder, it's not something that one could possibly turn off and on. Like when they go to work, they can't just shut down their implicit bias, right?
1: No, but I think when you become more aware of it, you can start making it conscious and then work to reduce it. But yeah. Biases with us 24-7 because it's
0: a hardwired brain habit. That's the problem. Is this something that you're going to be talking about in the class as far as the reflection portion and trying to figure out what your own is? Yes. Yes.
1: And I'm also going to be directing people to some assessments to help you figure out what that is and then how you can attack it and how you
0: can work to overcome it. This is important, not just because the day and age that we're in. I mean, it's desperately needed right now, but this is something that we should have been thinking about a long time ago, right? Well, of course, because this plays out
1: everywhere. I mean, it's not just based on race. I mean, I, I think a lot of people have, as an example, explicit bias around gender, gender identity, and sexual orientation and religion. So so certainly people have explicit bias, but I I also see a lot that people have implicit bias around it. And they'll they'll try to find ways to justify why they don't want to spend time with somebody who's different than them, the reason they might not include somebody in an after-hours work get together, fill in the blank, instead of owning that they have some negative perception or a negative filter toward those people. I mean, I've I've seen it happen all the time. I, I've seen Both explicit and implicit bias play out in my own family. And I saw it all the time when I lived in the South. I mean, it's it's just, it's everywhere all the time. And we, if we're going to be not only better professionals, but better people, we have to be willing to look at our programming. And the other thing about this stuff, and I want to make it really clear, my class is not around blaming and shaming all this programming, it's not our fault. Mm-hmm. We live in this society. These are the messages that society sends to us about what's good and, and what's not. I'll give you another example that, that is everywhere in the media. And it has been as long as I've been alive, is the, the, med, the message, sometimes subtle and sometimes not, that women are the caregivers. The women are the nurturers women are the better parents. But I know tons of men who are fantastic fathers, who are loving and nurturing. And I know dads that stay at home and raise their kids and their spouse works. But if you look at anywhere in the media, the women are the nurturers, the women are the better parents, the women are more committed, the women are loving. Don't say that about men. And then we wonder why men struggle to get in touch with their emotions and vulnerability and I mean, just think about gender socialization. It's a
0: mess and, and interesting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Well, I have well, to I have give to. a shout out to my husband because I feel like sometimes he's a better mom than I am. Well, that's good. Look at him. He's yeah. he's gender balanced. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, I started this job way before we got married and before we had kids and, you know, my job is not flexible. I have overtime. I have night shifts. And you don't get to call in because it snows outside kind of thing. You know, I have to be there. There are these things that are hard. I have to do. So he's been great stepping up with the kids because his job is more flexible than mine. And, you know, sometimes I get kind of sad about that just because of this is how we've had to live our life, but I'm very proud of him too. And I wish more people, more men are able to do that. But, but then there's my bias and there's my guilt. Like, I'm supposed to be the mom. I'm supposed to be the caretaker. I'm supposed to do all these things, but I have to have him do it. Right. So that is a perfect example.
1: Per- we could not plan this better, Erin. <laughs> that is a perfect example of how you just made an implicit bias explicit. Because you realized the programming, you realized your bias you, and that, how that was tied into your judgment of your husband and your own guilt and the roles. And then you just said, oh, my gosh, this is my bias. Mm-hmm. And with that awareness, you now can move forward in the world in a brand new way and go, you know what? I'm not going to feel guilty. And it's totally fine for my husband to take the care of the kids for the evening
0: like that's, that's good. They need to spend time like that with their father. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And if they wind up needing therapy later, I'll call you in 20 years. Yes. And they're not (laughs) going to need therapy, but we're (laughs) going to be here if you need it. I'll need therapy, but that's okay. (laughs) So say I'm a person who I've never had a cultural competency or racial bias or any of these touchy feely kind of abstract class And I'm being now either forced to take one by my department because of everything that's going on, or even not because of everything that's happening in the world right now, but just because the department wants to move forward and be better in society. But I'm resistant to it because I don't want to talk about it. What kind of advice or what would you say to these people who are uncomfortable having to do this? So this is going to
1: be a more broad, generalized recommendation, because I think this is just one example. So in life, you can't always control what happens to you, but you can always control your attitude and how you show up. Yes, you might be voluntold to come. You might be forced to come. You might be even forced to come on your day off. However, I look at this as a character test. Because I mentioned earlier that module I'm going to do on ethics and character. But to me, everything comes down to character. So, so yes, you're getting voluntold. And so yes, maybe the instructor you don't like or, or you don't agree with the curriculum or whatever. Okay. But how are you going to show up? Because how you show up is a reflection of you, not the supervisor who made you go. Not the department head that mandated it for every employee. How you show up is a reflection of you. So realize that every day you are teaching people about who you are. Every day you are showing people your character. And every day you are solidifying your reputation. So... You can go and sit in the back with a snarl on your face, or be on your phone, or disengage and say in your head, This is all BS and stupid. Well, then you're pretty much guaranteed to get nothing out of it. But in my experience, even a bad class teaches you something if you have the right mindset, if you're willing to go in there. And learn something. Now, the other part of that, the other reason to show up good instead of bad in these situations is this. And I talk about this a lot in my wellness courses. There's only a finite amount of energy that we ever have to expend in a day. And there's only three ways we ever expend our energy thoughts, feelings, and actions. And when you think about it, which two, Aaron, drain us the most? Is it our thoughts and feelings? Is it actions and thoughts? Is it actions and feelings? Which two are the most exhausting? Well, for me, uh-huh. it's thoughts and feelings for sure. Yes. And it is for all humans. Because actions, especially if you think about dispatch, right? Sitting in a console, you've got to get up and down and move your mouse around and look, turn your head slightly right? Mm-hmm. But it's not like in dispatch, y'all are running a marathon every day. Most of the reason people get exhausted from work in dispatch or any job really is because of the thoughts you think and the feelings that you experience throughout the day period. So whether you're voluntold to go to a one-hour class or a five-hour class, be selfish and think about well, do I want to sit here for one hours or five hours or a whole day and be angry and pissed and think all these negative thoughts and have all these negative feelings? Because if I do that, by the end of the day, I'm going to have nothing left for me. I'm going to be in a horrible mood and I'm going to have nothing for my family. Or if you want to be selfish and save your energy, which is such a precious commodity, then go in with a positive mindset and say, you know, I'm going to try to learn something. I'm going to stay in a good mood. Yes, I'm forced to be in the class, but I don't have to make myself miserable for the next five hours as I sit in a class that I hate. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Find something to do, self reflect, learn something, stay positive and say, Well, hey, at least I'm not on the console right now or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Because you have to make it something good. Because if you don't, you're going to be a puppet on a string controlled by everything outside of you. And your happiness, your mental health, and all of that is going to be dictated by everybody else and not yourself. So my challenge for everybody is be selfish and don't give away your energy like that. Just being mad. We all have plenty to learn about this. And I know not everybody is going to deliver this information in the best way. But go in and say, well, what can I learn about this? You know. And, and for yourself, if, if it's a bad instructor, then go, let me write down all the ways that I don't ever want to talk about this topic.
0: Hmm.
1: How would I want to have a conversation differently? How could I use their horrible examples and find a better example? Right? I mean, you, we learn more from people who don't do it well <laughs> about how we need to do it ourselves and that's the thing I said to one of my colleagues, he was like, well, I don't like all this stuff around privilege and blah, blah, blah. It was just complaining. And I said, OK, well, you don't like it. And I get that people have attacked you. And but how do you want to do it? Right. Learn from the people who don't do well and go, OK, how do I want to figure out a way to talk to my people that I supervise about privilege? What do I want to learn and say I'm not going to do it that way? And I said, so that's all our responsibility. Take the lemons and turn it into lemonade. I mean, it's so cliche, but
0: life is what you make it. And I think for some people, it's just so hard because you can go through a training class and you can learn these very tangible actions that have an outcome. Like, you know, you press this button to answer the phone or have this policy to initiate a traffic stop. You know, those things are ingrained to you. You do them and they're supposed to have a good outcome. But things like this, it's such a hard conversation to begin with, but then also there's nothing tangible to put your hands on.
1: Well, I'll disagree with you a little bit there because in all my classes, um, and this one is included in that, I am going to give people tangible tools. This is what you practice. This is how you have these hard conversations. This is how you do the self-reflection, etc. So people are going to have a ton of tools. The problem I see more often than that is when people leave the class, they never practice what they learn Hmm. and they're uncomfortable practicing the new habits. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So they don't practice. I mean, I see it sadly all the time. When I teach around the country, I'll go to an agency and I'll teach a class on whatever leadership, conflict, communication, um, resiliency, whatever. And then people love the class and I get great feedback and I usually follow up to some extent with um, the person who brought me there. And more often than not, oh, well, it was really great. We loved it. And we started doing a little bit and people were practicing. But, you know, we got busy and it's two months later and blah, blah, blah. Mm. It's hard to change ourselves. And especially around this difficult topic. It's hard to change our biases. It's hard to change our beliefs. It's hard to change our behaviors because they're all hardwired in our brain by now. And people don't like being uncomfortable. People don't like looking at parts of themselves that don't fit the ideal. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I just think it's, it's tough work. It's hard work. It's uncomfortable work. And people don't always want to do it. Mm
0: -hmm. But it has to be done. It's time. Indeed. So if we haven't covered all of these topics by now. What would you tell stakeholders from different agencies why this is the course that their people should take?
1: Yeah, I would say that I'll refer back to some of the things I said before. I think that, well, let me not say I think. I know that I can deliver this course material well in a way that is not attacking, blaming, or shaming. It actually inspires self-reflection and openness and growth in this area. I'll also say that it is packed with information, tools, resources that people can use, not just during the class when we have the weekly sessions, but I don't know if anybody else is going to give you lifetime access to this program and all updates for free and all of these additional resources. And because it's such a complex, multidimensional issue I want people to have the lifetime access because you don't fix this in four or five weeks. Mm -hmm. And by giving them that, you can go back time and again. You can use the resources to have conversations with people that you lead, with your coworkers, with your friends. And I'm also going to teach people about how to change their culture in their agency, how to grow personally and professionally and how we can all learn how to be anti-racist, how we can be allies to people of color and how we can create healing and harmony in our communities. And again, I don't, I don't know who else is going to create one of these classes because you know everybody you know is a consultant is going to have one of these in the next 12 months. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm certainly not saying my class will be necessarily better than other people's. Because I know all of us in this consulting world have a lot of value to offer, but I think I have something pretty unique. I think I have something comprehensive, and I think I have something that can serve people for the rest of their lives. And I don't know
0: that other consultants can offer that. And you also mentioned to me, too, that it's post certified in several states now, too, right? Yes, it is currently post
1: certified in Arizona, California, Minnesota, and North Dakota. Wow, that's impressive. Thank you, and I did all that in seven days. So, <laughs> if other people hear this and they want to try to get it post-certified in their state, I have all the stuff you need. So, reach out um, because I am offering now with my fifth fifth guest speaker. I'm offering um, eleven continuing education credits for the class. So that is hard to come by um, in an online class, and it's hard to come by an in-person class because nobody's even doing those these days.
0: Yeah. So how do we sign up for the class and how do we get in touch with you? Perfect. So you go to a very simple website.
1: It is KimberlyMillerPhD.com. So it's all one word, KimberlyMillerPhD.com. That is the website you can go to to learn about the course, to enroll in the course. You can also go to that course and click on content so you can reach out to me directly um, or if you just want to shoot me an email I'll tell you my email address it is dr. Miller at kimberlymillerconsulting.com so I really hope you all decide to go to the website check it out um, if you end up having a big group over 20, I do offer group discounts. So you can reach out to me and figure that out. If you end up listening to this podcast too late and the course has already begun, uh, no worries. I'm probably going to end up offering this once a quarter because I imagine a pretty high demand. Right now, I already have 100 people signed up and it looks like I will probably end up with two or 300 by the end of the class. So it is not too late to get in please consider it. If you can't do it now or your department can't do it till next year, that's fine. Go ahead and reach out to me and then we can make a plan for when it will work for you in the future.
0: That's awesome. That is so exciting. The webinar that you had last week, is that recorded so people can go back and watch as well? Yes. So if you don't already have, uh,
1: if you were not on the webinar last week, reach out to me at my email address, and I can send you a copy of that recording. We're only going to leave the recording up until Wednesday night. So if you want to see what I've already taught and you sent me, if you send me an email, I'll get you a copy of the recording. If you already signed up for the webinar last week, all you have to do is click on the exact same link that was in your email that you received. So if oh, you perfect. are in the class, you can click on the old link. It'll take you to the recording. If you weren't able to be on the webinar last week, reach out to me. I'll send you a copy of the recording. And then you can watch that and see if what I offer and the way I offer it will fit for you and work for you. Perfect.
0: Well, my friend, do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap this up? Just one thing.
1: Uh, well, maybe more than one. You know me. I always <laughs> I so first thing. Take care of yourselves. Our country is still in the middle of a pandemic, and our country is struggling with a lot of issues around race and transformation of the criminal justice system, which I know both of those things are very hard on y'all. So, whatever you have to do, don't forget that you need to engage in regular self care. You've got to take a break from work, you need to take a break from TV. You need to take a break from your social media, do something to take care of yourself because we will come out of this at some point. We never know when that's going to be, but you can't wait to do self-care when the pandemic and the crisis is over. You got to do it now so you can survive better. Second, I am excited to be able uh, to be able to offer these online classes for you and be able to reach people in a whole new format. So if you're not interested in this class, I hope you will at least consider my other classes that I'm going to roll out. So I'm certainly going to roll out my wellness and resilience curriculum. I'm hopeful to do that before the end of the year. Then I'll be rolling out my curriculums on leadership, on conflict and communication, culture and organizational change emotional intelligence, all of that kind of stuff. So if this is not what you're interested in, totally cool. But I hope you will stay tuned on Erin's podcast for future interviews with her when I can talk about other programming, because I'm passionate about serving y'all and helping you get to a better place, both
0: professionally and personally. Absolutely. I was just thinking we need to talk about self-care in the pandemic after you brought that up. Because my brain is still stuck in March. Like life just kind of stopped in March. I walk outside and I'm like, why is it so freaking hot outside? It's almost August, but my yeah. brain is still stuck in March. So once you're done and you have a minute, let's come back and we'll talk about that.
1: Yes, because sadly, once I'm done, this pandemic will not be over. So
0: <laughs> it's not, not all... going to
1: end tomorrow. No, I wish if I had a magic wand, I would have waved it in March. Aw. Oh. But I do not have one, but I will come back, I promise. And I will help y'all figure out
0: ways to navigate this continued trying time. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kim. I always appreciate you, but appreciate you even more today. Thank you for stopping by. Thanks, Erin. Y'all take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. And I hope that you found something that really resonates with you. I can't wait to share even more So please subscribe to the podcast and you can find links to our resources in the description and at youroxygenmaskfirst.com.